Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. They are. So where are y'all from? I'm from North Carolina. Really? He's from Kansas. I'm from, uh, if you know where App State University is? Absolutely. Yep. That's the corner of my world right there. Rock on. So live in the very top corner. He's from Kansas City. Gotcha. He loves the Kansas City. A little flatter than Chiefs. Appalachian. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Not a Chiefs fan. No. You're not a Chiefs fan. Not a Chiefs fan. But they're playing so well. You know, somebody posted something like a, who would you get rid of in the NFL? And it was like a picture of Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, like Sean Payton, I don't know, somebody else, Pete Carroll, something like that. And the entire thread, it was somebody local in Kansas City. She's a real estate agent. The entire thread was Bill Belichick. Like just <laughs> over and over and over and over and over. A lot of peanut butter and jelly in this thread. A whole lot of peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. The the pats aren't um They'll be fine. He's a big Pats fan. Is he now? Yeah. And um, we we have some skin in that game. How's Mac Brown doing for you? Mac Jones? Mac Jones. Yeah. yeah sorry. He's, not, he's doing good. He's yeah. awesome this year. He was good last year, too. Everybody kind of hated on him. But he had, he had no offensive coaching last year. He just had to go out there and wing it. It was terrible. It didn't look good. It was frustrating. It, it was sloppy. You, you watch the um, – there's a bunch of great YouTube channels. Now. Have you ever seen the QB school? I've not. I can't remember the guy's name. He was a backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he does like very detailed breakdown of what the quarterback's seeing, what play they're running, how the defense is going to play it, why the throw is made in, in the game. is It's insane yeah. to see the nuances and the intricacies of every single play because you're just seeing – giant men just smash into each other right and either they do well or they don't and you're either cheering or you're like oh, okay next play but there's so much to each play and so he breaks it down in a very concise fashion makes it understandable it's very interesting to watch and last year uh another quarterback that had done the same thing was kurt warner mm-hmm. he has a similar youtube channel and he breaks down the place and he did the the pats vikings game and the whole time he's like, there's no spacing here. Like, where's he supposed to throw the ball? The, this is the way that the play is designed. You have no spacing. You're stacking the receivers on top of each other. And there's just a mass of people. Like, where do you throw the ball? And he, he just play after play after play. That's and even cool. the ones they did well on, he's like, they got lucky on this play. Because hmm. a defender had made a mistake and that's the only reason why that guy was open but had the defender stayed on the guy properly or they had defended that properly there would have been no spacing there wouldn't have been 
any design in the play to get the guy open. There just there wasn't any, and it was like this. He's like this is the most rudimentary offense. Mm. Yeah, I've ever seen anybody do, run. Do you guys know McElroy, the, the yeah, ex quarterback yeah. from yeah. Alabama, and he's he does a morning show down in Birmingham. Oh, really? With, with Cole Kubik, and it, those guys because Cole is a, a defensive lineman, I think, and then McElroy is a quarterback. Yeah, right. And they are high, like you're saying, highly intelligent about how they break the the game down and yeah, and talk. It's you know, I understand kind of the high level, what the play is called. Yeah. But then they're talking about all these, these it's like linguistic code. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And, and you, you got to go sit and Google it. And go, what does that <laughs> mean? To understand and what they're not. talking it's, about. It's really, it's fun to get that sort of, that insider image. Yeah, yeah, the deep cut right into yeah. that sort of thing. Well, that's kind of like why you're here today. And so tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your name. Uh, Russell Ritchie. I'm based in Birmingham. I work for Endeavor Business Intelligence, and, and uh, that's different than Endeavor Business Media. That's different than the diff- magazine. It's a different division. Okay. Same family. Uh, Endeavor Business Media owns Ratchet and Wrench and owns uh, Fender Bender. They also right. own ninety other brands right. across buildings and construction, laser, military equipment. Uh, manufacturing, fluid processing, healthcare, dental. It's a, it's a sort of a B2B media, I would call it an empire, but it, right. it spans a lot. And, uh, and the automotive repair group is one of the sort of the crown jewels right. of those properties because we've got a lot of great audience and a lot of got great brands and, and great content. And so what do you do for that organization? I'm a research director, so okay. I will. It, 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 charity starts closest to the home. I help our editors do their surveys that right. they leverage into article content or or right. put it on their website. Um, but then mostly, what I do is paid research for custom customers. So right. we have think of the the sponsors that are in this yeah. uh, this this event. Those some of them are my customers already, and we do right. market research for them. Okay. So we may be doing, if it's hypothetically a product development project, we might be doing in-depth interviews and showing key people uh, schematics yeah. and mock-ups of a new product and get their okay. feedback. And then other times we're doing things like survey research, where a company really wants to find out where they sit in the perceptual landscape yeah. of a market. Okay. So, and that's kind of simple math for, are you Coca-Cola or are you right. RC Cola? Are you, right. wh- who's, what, what is your top of mind awareness? What is your aided awareness? Right. What's the willingness to recommend across the market for right. your brand versus others? Very cool, very cool. Yeah. And so yesterday you you did a presentation. Now I had seen the PowerPoint a little bit earlier. We, we had shared that with the local high school Mm-hmm. Because I thought it was really, really interesting. And and as you were talking, the realization hit for me that we have something very, very, very unique in our community in like a big way compared to what you're talking about. It's very different, mm-hmm. right? Now, there's, I see, I see exactly, I, I can replicate what you're talking about in the study you did mm-hmm. in all these other communities, but I can also see that ours is a standout it's, it's in quite a different. massive way. Okay. And so, so 
you're there's you know there's a distribution curve and you're lucas and i have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems and now they've just launched a new referral program all you have to do is open your parts tech account go to my shop and click on the rewards tab there you'll find your referral url which you can share via email text message or on your social media if your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description. Or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. There are the one percenters on one side, right. and you probably ought to be kind of a someone that people should be, be modeling best practices after. Well, so, you know, it, it, and I've been telling our local school system this. I've been telling the local community college this. And, and we're going back and forth and we're talking about ways we can accomplish that. So to give you a little bit of background, we'll talk at county schools. Um, had an, a phenomenal teacher in there and he retired and the program went, right? Now, the high school was built to have co-education classes in the trades. Mm -hmm. And so they have college courses and high school courses in the same facility, and so you walk into our automotive facility. It's got a dyno in it. It's got millions of dollars worth of tools. It's got a brand new hunter alignment machine. It's got brand new hunter tire equipment. It's got every piece of equipment that they're going to use. And it, I mean, it dwarfs any dealership you've ever seen. Hmm. I mean, it is unbelievably nice. And so it was a shame because after he left, you saw that there's nobody in the classes. And so this teacher comes in. His name's Eric, and Eric comes in, and he's a Volvo master technician. And he comes in, and he begins to take the program, and he gets people in, and then more people start coming in, and he's calling shops and saying, hey, will you be on the advisory committee? I'd really love for you to be on the advisory committee. Let's get some, some action here. So people start going to his meetings. At first, there were five or six of us, and then all of a sudden, we're having cookouts, and there's 200 people from the community at the cookout, Right. And that's huge because most of these schools are not getting that kind of engagement. And I distinctly remember, so the, the CTE director at the time, she's now the assistant principal, was telling Eric, whatever you need, like whatever you need, cool. you, need you need to be in the newspaper, you need to be on a podcast, you need equipment, here's the check. Here you go. What gotcha. do you need? What gotcha. do you need? And, and was, it, was it down to his initiative and his, his thrust I think a lot of it made her – Go, hey, or was she already willing? I, I think or? she was really willing. She saw that there was massive opportunity there. 
And I don't know who got to her to explain that to her before he got there, but she saw there was massive opportunity there. And so he took this high school program, right? And he took it and he turned it from a class where you come and you read a book and then you go out into the the shop for a while and you talk about what needs to be done and how you do it. He took it and he turned it into a functioning auto repair shop for the teachers. Oh, cool. And so the student runs through the entire process, exactly how you would speak to a client, exactly how you'd work on the car. And so they're learning not just how to work on cars, they're learning life skills and they're learning responsibility and they're learning that there's a safety aspect to this. We're not just down here hanging out working on cars. There's there's life principle in this, right? Sure, sure. And I will never forget, we're at one of these cookouts and one of the guidance counselors is there. And I hear somebody talking about the fact that technicians can earn hundred dollars to $120,000 a year. And I see the guidance counselor's face just drop. And, and I said, why, why the facial expression? And she said, well, we've, we've never sent folks down here that we thought would be responsible for this type of technology or had this type of potential. I'm realizing now that this is way more advanced than I thought it was. I thought they were just like, turning wrenches right this is pretty advanced stuff stem all the way yeah exactly and so when you started talking about your presentation i'm sitting there saying wow we're really lucky that we have something like this in our community i would say you are in a minority um, right from the overall population of of academic right you know secondary institutions um there's for, for every story like that, there's probably a lot more. And, and you know, you have to come. I, we didn't we didn't study the schools themselves. We studied right. the parents' attitudes towards the schools. So but, let's dig into that a little bit. Sure. What, when, when we talk about those numbers, what was the and, – and David can pull it up and put it on the screen if we need to. But the what was the first slide you did? Because I just remember that first graph. It just went, like, straight down like that. Yeah, that was – the the average number of of kids or the younger generation going into an auto tech training program right and over 10 years it lost 30% 3% year by year right so so not only is the is the curve steep but the rate of decline is consistent right so it's a uh, i it's that's that's a problem. Yeah, for sure. It's a and you know, so we've long said and and up until this point I think we've and and there's been data out before, but up until this point I think we've all kind of felt like a lot of this was that parents and guidance counselors were not telling students that the that the trades or that blue collar work was a viable pathway. Right, right. Right. And I, I think that the school systems and, and you know, we've got a local chamber and, and the the uh, executive director of the chamber was on a while back that focuses solely on skilled trades. Right. They focus on workforce development for so long. It seemed like they were solely focused on four year degrees and, and they were telling parents you should teach your kids to work smarter, not harder. And I think we personally have some responsibility to that as shop owners. Mm hmm. Because what we did is we put guys in bays and we kind of abused them. We didn't pay them the best. We didn't take care of them the way they were supposed to. And the, the real issue was is at the end of the day, there was very little opportunity. You hit 55. How many shops do you know that have a 401k? 
How many do you yeah. know that have IRA plans? How many do Absolutely. you know that have full paid health insurance? What where where do you go? Sure. And this is a very taxing job. You were talking about your personal shops that you use, and they're still back in the bays working, yeah. right? Yeah. And and you you have a relationship with these people for a span of years, and you watch their health decline. I yeah, you're right. I, one of one of my mechanics went through a bad spell, and yeah. he was. Oh, you're fine. He was he was unable to work, and you know, and it's funny because you know he he has a whole. Uh, a customer base that all know each other, right? And kind of viral in our own sort of small yeah. peer group. But everybody is like, "What's what's up with Sandy? He's sick. What are we going to do?" And oh God, we, do we need to go check on him and right help him out or anything? And and thankfully he he came through it. But you're right. you're underscoring yet yeah, it's, it's longevity and it's also that in, it's inter- the the ability of of a good shop owner to to create relationships with yeah. their customers absolutely that, that are powerful absolutely um and that was kind of the sort of the, not the thesis of of the powerpoint was you guys as shop owners are, are the grassroots of this all and your words mean something and right. to get out there and and well be a good person in the community because people go wow he's an auto guy and he's a right. great guy so that's what and, and then just them talking you know just big up big up your your gig right yeah uh just and and the best do it do it and that's why those guys are the ones you have to make appointments with right just drive the car off absolutely well and and you know so when we look at that aspect of our industry as a whole right and we look at at that relationship and how important the auto repair shop is to small American communities all over the world, big American communities, right? You got to have your car fixed. You have to have transportation. When you talk to um, these parents and you were, you were doing these studies, was there any indication they thought that their children could earn a good living? That, that was the, the misperception. There, there were, there's a level of parent. There, there's a percentage of parents that do feel that you can make a great living. Right. Um, but, that it was under fifty percent. It was about four forty percent. So okay. two and five parents don't have that perception of yeah. the trade, right? And you know, I'm not saying I'd be kind of silly to say, oh, well, we wish ninety nine percent of people would say that, right? But right. There's a big difference between forty and ninety. Somewhere in between would would suffice. Yeah. It would make it, a big it difference. A, yeah. it, it wouldn't hurt. So, right. For sure. So one of the things that I noticed in the presentation, and David pointed this out, was that that when looking at community college, right? Because like in North Carolina, if you go into an automotive apprenticeship or a skilled trades apprenticeship program, you get out and, and they will give you an apprenticeship scholarship mm-hmm. to a community college. So you get a two-year associate's degree completely free of charge. Okay. Even if you don't get that, community college is substantially less expensive than a absolutely. four-year school. Oh, absolutely. Why in the hell is everybody sending their kids to uh, a four- yeah. I mean, like, that was a massive number. Yeah. Like, it was like, what, almost 50% are saying you need a four-year degree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the family or the kid are going to get in the whole $100,000, yeah. and the kid's going to come back and live in his 
basement. Right. Exactly. And work <laughs> at McDonald's. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That it's a disconnect. And, and I just, you know, that, that's kind of got to fight the good fight and, and go why. And, and I think there's a, to, what we saw on the data were actually younger generation are sort of, are, are sort of attuned to this. They, okay. they, more more likely to believe that you can make good money in a in a trade than their parents are, but their right. parents are still pivotal in in their upbringing, and right. so uh, you know the parents are you know heavy influencers. But so the the kids are out there ready to be molded. If someone if, if there was just the less disconnect, and the parents were right. kind of aligning with them, as you say, as you might say. And so is there any indication of where parents get this information? In other words, like they're, we know what the news says and we know that they get information from, from web sources and, and the nightly news or whatever media source it is that they choose to obtain their information. How is it that we as an industry could better educate that consumer? You know, I think it's about awareness campaigns and okay. they're, you know, th- well, you know, advertising is to build awareness yeah. through reach and frequency. And there are plenty of, you know, say associations think maybe way back in the day, better living through plastics. Right. That was the plastic industry putting yeah. a lot of advertising out there to humanize and explain the benefits of plastic. It's not all bad. Right. And I honestly believe, and I'm not a marketer, I'm a researcher, um, but I hang out with marketers. Yeah. (laughs) And and I I think you're going to, the industry is going to have to put energy, effort, and money into awareness campaigns and just spell these messages out. Right. Um, And it doesn't have to, I mean, you could see a 30 second spot in the net, you know, during the NASCAR races. But then, then it when it should be not only top down, you know, eyeballs on TV. It should be integrated with the, the shops themselves, the the educational facilities yeah. and institutions, uh, the big companies. And and there are a lot of companies that sponsor the trades associations. I think you know, right. it, oh, yeah. it, or, or the technicians associations. Right. Um, but I think it's. I think you're all talking to yourselves yeah. in a way. Right. We're and just not, not reaching the key yeah, demographic. Yeah, the kid or the parent and or right. just the general public. Yeah. Um so that's that's just my take from the outside. You know, I bit. I remember um Mike Rowe testified in front of Congress a while back and he said, I think we need a campaign for hard work. Yeah. You know, and this yeah. this country was really built on hard work. Absolutely. And and so much of the infrastructure that we have and the the world that we live in. I've I've watched for the past three days david's so frustrated by this but i've watched for the past three days them take this crane up and down over here okay and i don't know if you've seen any of that but i mean these guys are out here 6 a.m and and they're they're putting the first crane together to take the other crane apart and i've watched these guys i don't know if you saw it this morning they're standing out on the very hey everyone it's lucas i'm sorry to jump in but i thought it was important to come and say this 
You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. doesn't cost you a dime. Very edge of that crane up in the air. And they're just like dangling off the edge. Oh, yeah. You know, and and there's a lot of people who would absolutely cringe oh, at the idea of doing I'm that. Afraid of heights. I look up there and go, "Wow!" Right. And I'm so here. these guys are up here beating and banging and and flailing around, and you know they're gonna they're gonna take home one hundred fifty thousand dollars this year, right? Sure thing. And there's a whole crew of them out here, probably making as good of money as you could in any office in America, and and they they contributed to a project over here. Yeah. That that made America what it is. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. There's Absolutely. a new building over here. There's a new apartment over here that's going to generate revenue and produce GDP for this community yeah. Taxes. that wasn't there before. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so I just I think that I think that we've gotten away from hard work is is important in our communities. I I, I will say I think in, in a way like the kids of today they're you know maybe in the 60s and the 50s and 70s, mm-hmm. kids just grew up in their garage messing around with a car. And yeah. now what they do is mess around with their computer in their room. Right. So these kids are going into coding and software engineering. And right. that's, in a way, they're... And someone who is not necessarily a software engineer building a brand new platform, but someone who's just maintain, doing the maintenance, Right. They, to be fair, they make really good money too. Yeah, and absolutely. so, and I, it, it's almost like those guys are the mechanics of the present, right? In, in the way that uh, some, and and it's it's neither good nor bad. It's, it's right. just what it is. But those guys, and you know, I guess I'm from a generation where you go outside and do stuff, right? Yeah, playing, you know, with a joystick or whatnot. But I, I do agree. We we need to get back to that outdoors, that hard work, right? Know, for sure, little sun on you. That's it. Um, Absolutely. Uh, what What was the biggest thing when you looked at that study? Was there a moment where you said, "Holy cow"? Was there Was there one particular piece of data in there that was just, or were you expecting well, it? I I I try to never expect what what to expect. Right. But yet I expect it. If that's a kind of a circular way, of, right? Right. Of saying it. Um, I'll be honest. The, the what hit me it was the the lack of of women in in the yeah. industry, and I figured it would be a three to one ratio or four to one ratio, but it's under ten percent. It's nine percent, right? And 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 what was interesting is the older generations did not think that you know it was a great opportunity for women, but the the millennials and the Gen Zs. Are, are more likely to think that. And it's, right. it's just kind of a changing of, of attitudes as the generations shift. But, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm not a demographer, 
Right. But, I, but I do stats for a living. Get get fifteen percent more of the women interested, and all of a sudden, half your shortage is gone. Right. What What was the number on the shortage? What was it? Was I want to say yes. Yeah. So they needed to add about one hundred and twenty per year. Right. Yeah. Uh, to to have. I think, I think the issue with the with the gender thing is that you're you're going to have to force the issue. You, you look at any country that pushes more equality in the demographic makeup of particular sectors, the more they force it, the more it ends up separating apart. Mm-hmm. And you still end up left to their own devices. Women are going to pick certain trades. Yeah. That's yeah. why most nurses are women, teachers are women. Sure. HR positions are almost always women. Sure. And you don't see women going into automotive repair or the oil fields or bricklaying or any. It's just that's not what they want to do. Guys don't want to go into HR, although they can. Women can get into the automotive field. Were there barriers, I think, in the past? Sure. I think it was very difficult for a woman because they just weren't in there. They weren't in the industry. Now we're at, what, 9% you're saying? I don't know that that making that appeal is going to work. You'll 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 be fighting. You're going to have to do three times the work to get the same result as you would yeah. if you if you just did the awareness campaign. The awareness campaign, I think, is a is is like that's it. He's right. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of said it like, oh, you just no. That's that's exactly what it is. You you had the example of the Rolling Stone perception ad because hey i don't think you understand who's reading our magazine you think it's this it's not we have very well-to-do older influential people reading our magazine you should take this seriously you should be advertising with us i think that's that's going to be critical you don't see that right what association is running become an automotive automotive mechanic you can make a lot of money this is the industry the future yeah like Cars aren't going to go away. The cars are getting more complex. This is more interesting work. For sure. For it's sure. It's not oily, greasy. I mean, it kind of is. It's kind of sort of, but not not like it used to be. You're not sure. rebuilding engines, what? right? You're putting battery packs in. Yeah. Who would take that? Role? Nobody's I mean, doing it. That, that's the point. That's the that point. Nobody would that be ASTA? It should be somebody. It should be. It could be it should a be the ACA. It, it could, could be. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. It could be on the Auto Care Alliance. It could be. I don't, I don't know. The, look how much money and effort and energy is put into something like SEMA. And and all all these people get a... I mean, it's it's cool to go see SEMA and it's cool to go see the cool technology and the cars and all that stuff. And the show's awesome and and Apex. All that, that whole thing is awesome. But there should be some aspect of it where, hey... We need the public to understand that this is what the industry could be. This is an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Let's get some people in here. Let's get them. Let's get some eyeballs on this. Yeah, Ford is running that campaign. Be a Ford Tech, I think, is what it is. Be a Ford Tech dot com. But even then, I don't think they're appealing. They're appealing to existing technicians. Existing technicians. They're not trying to create new ones. They're just singing to the choir. Yeah, you got to get. You're absolutely right. Everybody's just talking to each other. Like yeah. everybody's just talking to, and, to each other. And it was interesting, guys. I, you know, after, after the talk, I was rapping with some of the guys in the audience. 
And so they were telling me stories about how they're having trouble getting technicians. Right. And so one, one guy was like, yeah, one of my competitors posts up at the coffee shop across from my shop. Yeah. And when the guys come over to get coffee, he chats them up and tries yeah. to recruit them. I can believe it. And, and then and, and he said, but then what I do is if someone left my company to go, for another co- to, go to another company, I keep in touch with them. And every three months, I email them and say, well, how's it going? You like yeah. where you're at? We'd, we'd, we'd miss you. Yeah. And so, so those guys, they're, they're, they're humping it to do these tactics to retain what's there. And right. they, if everyone put that energy out to finding the new, the new right. by changing the underlying perceptions, they wouldn't be – I mean, it was it was kind of funny. It was like kind of spy versus spy, these guys. Right, as opposed to, to – yeah, as yeah. opposed to reaching out and, and looking for the new opportunity. So if it, let's say we want to create a campaign like that because we're, we're very much about solutions, right? Because one of the things that we've always said is that, that our industry has always just harped on the problems. Well, oh, we've got a technician shortage. So, I mean, where do we start? Like, what what's the next step? But think think one step ahead. Like, you do the campaign. Somebody that that is out of the industry wants to get into the industry, and then they go down to Joe Schmo's Auto with the dirt floors, yeah. and they're like, "You guys are throwing this campaign out there with the per- making it seem as though automotive repairs is one thing, but I went down and applied right. for this, right. and it's not like that at all. I'm doing oil changes all day long." Yeah, I'm not getting into this cool technology. Like I don't. It, there's a disconnect there, and that that may be the reality that has to. I yeah. don't know. That's tough to change. to change. You're right because yeah. you you come you you invest all this time to buy brain share or right. mind share, and then it's ruined by walking into yeah. an environment into like that. Environment. Um, yeah. Or you know, you get these flat rate shops that are built on speed, and it's. It's not technical work. It's get the work done as fast as possible, and and then not not that that's it's not a bad thing. Like you, we still have to make money, but that's very much a factory mindset. Yeah, it's a production line factory worker mindset. Shift starts at eight. The first breaks at nine thirty. Second breaks at lunchtime. You get thirty minutes. Come on back. Put your clock in. Don't stop until you hear the whistle. And, and you're absolutely right. Like they're getting on these the their computers or their gaming devices or whatever. And software engineering is the most boring yeah. job. Yeah, zeros and ones all day. Yeah, it's just and they work it's insane hours. And code and code and then you run it, compile it and something's broken, you've no idea why and then you're like you have to figure out what like you put the wrong squiggle in the wrong line. 455 pages back. Yeah. <laughs> the, the but it affords them some flexibility. I have a good friend who's a who's a software engineer. Every 2 to 3 years he switches jobs. He will learn the new code that's out so so he can go then apply for jobs because at the end of the day like the fundamentals are all the same so he just sure. he's like oh i didn't know I, I think the last one was python he's like i don't know i didn't know python so i taught myself python how long did it take it down? Oh, a few months and yeah. i was entirely proficient on python that i could write code and then go apply for jobs and he would just get 
when he wanted a raise, he would just go and go, go get another job. But he would sit in my lobby when he had a car that he got a Tesla. But when he, he when he had his, his Subaru, he would come and sit in my lobby. And he's like, I got to bang out some work. And he would sit on his laptop. He didn't have to go into an office. He didn't have to be there at 8 o'clock and you can't stop working until 9.15. And then you take and take a 15-minute break. That that whole structure is no longer appealing. It's no longer, like, I, I don't understand we have to create something different because otherwise we're going to be Can, fighting the UAW for, for employees. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, I do. Can, it, what you're describing is, it, I mean, that's, it's like that Gen Zers dream. You just walk around, yeah. throw up your laptop, bang out some emails, do your job, go to lunch, go to the coffee house, then go work. And yeah, they may over the day work, Eight or twelve out, you know. Yeah, they, so they're putting right. in their time. How can how can you kind of shape shift that into your context? And and I, I you know, the it, was, it 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 works to a certain degree. You can put some guardrails up. The issue is the person coming in to that environment mm-hmm. because that software engineer is on a deadline, so he can work an hour today. 20 hours tomorrow, but the deadline's the deadline. You still have to have it delivered. Mm-hmm. You, and you can create something like that within a shop. The, the problem is you hire the technician. They've got the factory mindset. They've got the factory. Unless I've got an, the foreman behind me watching me all day long to make sure that I'm not slacking off, I'm going to slack off because there's nobody behind me barking at me. And, and they're like, and because they, they're just not, they're not used to self-actualization. They're used to yeah. being forced. You have to pop, pop, pop. And all of a sudden you give them this freedom and it doesn't, it doesn't work. Is this a demographic thing? So in other words, we know our clients, we know who would come into our shop. Do I, do I have a client that is uh, extremely focused on time and they want the cheapest price uh, what it, what is their buying habit when it comes to auto service, and do I meet that client's demands? In other words, am I am I selling what they're buying? Does that play into what we're doing here when we go to market to the next generation of potential automotive technicians? That I have to find out what it is, and then you know because if you think about, it, they're in our internal clients, right? They really are our clients. They're just on the other side of the business. And so now I have to redevelop my business and redevelop my strategy to change, to offer. And I think we've been doing that as an industry as a whole. I think we've been shifting in some areas, not well, right? Or, or like things would have gotten better faster. The curve and we're at the 1%. Right. It, there was a couple of, of the uh, sponsors out there that we have client relationships. I do research for them. And I was just shooting the breeze with one of them. And he, is asked, he was like, Russell... I, I, I get, I, we get all the data about how many lifts they have and maybe how much throughput and how many, you know, how much of the revenues and stuff. Okay, I get all that. Can you go find me data about what they do on the weekends, what yeah. their lifestyle is? What do they, do they hunt? Do they fish? You know, what do they do? And it was interesting to me because in a kind of a B2B context, it's just product, quality, price. Right. And brand, uh, but but 
this guy was coming to me. He goes, I, I don't want to, I don't, I want to sell my brand in a lifestyle vibe and an emotional vibe, which is a real B to C yeah. kind of paradigm. Um, and it was just, and, and I've heard that from other clients uh, in other verticals that I work in. They're right. like, I, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do your brand awareness survey, so you know your semiconductor, you know where your semiconductor company sits amongst others, amongst electronic design engineers. And they're like, now nah, we know, we, we kind of know that. I want to know what what are those design engineers doing after right. hours? What are they? What are they? What do they care about? What what do they listen to in terms of music and what, yeah. what TV Holy do they watch? Yeah. yeah, it's really and so that's you're getting into these kind of psycho these prism data and that sort of mm-hmm. that 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 aggregated massively aggregated data that that helps you create personas and then those personas are what you you build your marketing around. So right. you go every every messaging decision you make is how does that going to relate to this particular persona. Um, right. But you know what you're trying to talk to. There are shops doing that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Turbo Tim. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. He he has created this whole brand and persona and cool. this vibe. And it's a, it, it's my lifestyle aligns to his. Mm-hmm. That's why I take my car there. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, yeah. And the, yeah, absolutely. And, and, that, and, and does that, does that help him with his technicians and his, his oh, yeah. recruiting and retention and employee satisfaction? I mean, yeah. I would, yeah, it sounds like it does. All right. Yeah. Um, so it it's is. another dude down in, I think he's in Austin. I cannot remember that guy's name. He's all tatted up and stuff like that, but it was very much an Austin vibe. Gotcha. That's how he runs a shop, but he's got 12 technicians and yeah. the facility does four million dollars a year or whatever it he's absolutely killing it but you meet him and he's tatted up right. and he's got like holes all over his face and you're just you wouldn't think that this guy is running a top-notch operation where he's just but that all of his technicians look like they look like his customers mm-hmm. his customers that come in all look like him yeah. and they they all have this thing going it makes sense to want cool. psychographic information yeah, yeah. so should associations be hiring you to do that? Is that is that what we should be looking at as associations begin to get that data? And and does this start so like we've got associations all over the country and this one's in this state and this one's in this state. We've got a nationwide association, right? ACA. Should should we look at saying, okay, these small associations need to get demographic studies for their area, or should we look at a broad level? I I, th- I think there's that data out there. I mean, I, I th- you know how 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 well it's integrated with other markets and other associations. What kind of data is it? Is it is it psychographic data or is it just you know, name, rank, serial number, you know, children and household, zip right. code, that kind yeah. of stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, it. You know, we talk to one segment, parents, and they're one yeah. part of the picture, and there's all these other pictures out there. Right. And one is is would be knowing the psychographics of your of and the mindsets of the average technician. And you yeah. know, of course they're already in the fold, but you probably you want you want to know them for the retention aspect. Right. And, and that unbiased happen. data, right? Because we're yeah. right now the data that we get 
is coming from the top 1% and we're, we, you know, we have people who are in our groups that are technicians and they're expressing how unhappy they are, but they're probably the bottom 1% have the top 1%, but we're not seeing an adequate picture of the bell curve. We're only seeing the bottom and the top yeah. because they're the vocal ones. And so if we got the data from the, the entire the ones that are the ones that are bitching are still on the 1%, but they're just they're on the lower end of the 1%. I you I would not look, I know I've met those technicians that are on the bottom and they are not engaged in any way shape or form. They are just smashing things up left and right and just hopping from used car dealer to used car dealer to used car. Is this only ones I'll hire them cuz they'll work for 15 bucks an hour. But you get like an association like ASTA. Mhm. We'll put Mike Allen on the spot. Let's do it. Mike Allen needs to figure out a strategy. And because I, I can't I don't think it needs to be nationwide. Because you're right. That psychographic information is is so important and it's so unique. The message that will resonate with people in North Carolina will not necessarily mes- resonate with people in Florida or in Kansas City. And so you have local associations like ASTA. Why not put together a campaign specifically to hit parents and young young people like leaving high school about the benefits of going into the trades, specifically automotive repair, sure. with an ASTA shop? Yeah. Yeah, don't track just it go to a, a yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Track, to a segment, track them to the shop that will appreciate it, and it'll, it will right be a pay a, the top one percent. But then yeah. it becomes a, a a larger because if you're an ASTA member shop, they need to understand that hey, part of the deal here is you're going to meet certain standards mm-hmm. because we are going to be pushing, trying to get young instead of going to a four year liberal arts college to get a worthless degree. In dance theory, they're going to go and get a, a degree or they're going to come in and learn how to change oil and then tires and then alignments and then now diag work. And well, and, and you know, so in some ways we've laid the foundational groundwork for this. The, the problem is, is that especially with the apprenticeship programs, the the curriculum for those and the schedules for those, it's very lax and it's very difficult to build structure for it in a way that you can maintain right because every shop's a little bit different and then you have to teach the shop to be able to do that and administer right. that and make sure that it's actually happening because then, then you it, have- that becomes part of the the deal though for an asta shop like an, an asta shop and I'm, I'm just saying asta because we can pick on my calendar but an asta shop is going to make a specific commitment yeah towards creating a pathway for young technicians to come into the industry because we are going to make a concerted effort to reach out to parents because we understand that the psycho the demographic information is there the psychographic information we we understand we can reach out to them we can start funneling some of these kids that are going to to unc and racking up one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt they're going to come come and showing up at your shop mike allen and mike allen needs to have something in place yeah that yeah. meets a specific standard because otherwise you can't be an ASTA shop. Right. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why, why, why put a lot of energy into getting someone ready to only disappoint them? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, make yeah. sure that, that it's reciprocated, you know, and, yeah. and, and that, that, that 
Yeah, because that's what you do. the you know those famous adages about the the best way to ruin a bad product is to do a great advertising. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> everybody try it once and that's it. Yeah, you know, uh, no yeah. more. Um, some one of the guys, a, a, a guy that has an MSO, and I was chatting with him. Had a he, he, when he does his apprentice programs, he they do the training, then the apprentice program, and then he has says. We'll give you a twenty thousand dollar box of tools. Yeah, if you'll stay with us for four years, right? Um, and that seems to be a, it. I don't know. I wouldn't want to call it you know kind of indentured. You know, you're stuck with them yeah. kind of bad in a bad way, but it gives some incentive for loyalty. And you know, those those tools are expensive, right? Right. And and so you know, and you, you, you got to go. You probably have to take out a loan. To buy the tools anyway, right? But that was that's that was sort of their commitment, and yeah, to, to the to making sure that these guys know we care about you out of the gate. We we're committed to your growth and and your opportunity within our shops. And right, we'll move you up, and you know, by the way, you don't have to pay for twenty thousand dollars worth of tools. We're seeing more and more shops moving away from any type of. Um, technician has to buy their own tools. Oh, really? Okay, that's a good thing. And they're they're moving towards, hey, we can supply all the tools. The only you you get a Seth Thorson. I think Seth pays for everything for his mm-hmm. technician. Yeah. He? Yeah. yeah, he's got he's got standard boxes that are mounted. up He on wants walls. the shop to look a certain way, so he buys the box, and then and and they're less likely to leave because it's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm not, I'm not buying. A thirty thousand dollar box to then put my tools in. Like I'm stuck here. I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> and so a, a lot of the dealerships in my area are doing the same, very something very similar. And talking to those technicians, and they'll, I mean, you have to tell them that I, I'll buy you a box if you come and you if you leave and come work for me, I'll, because otherwise they don't have a box and they have no way out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure. your opportunity may be better, but they don't they don't see it that way because. I don't want to buy a box, man. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So I think that's definitely going to be a, a specific factor to it where the the whole, that whole model, which the tool companies will lose their minds, but yeah. <laughs> that whole model of, yeah. hey, I'm going to entice them to come under the tool truck and put them into this debt where they're paying 50 to 75 to $100 a week for forever, buying these constant supply of new tools that keep coming out. So that one percent of shop owners run those tool truck guys off, hmm. uh, and and they call them whenever they need something. But the shop ends up paying for it. But some technicians want to own their tools, and I have no problem with that. So I like that. Hey, and, and that's what we end up doing at my shop. I buy something, but if you within a year leave, like you can either buy what you haven't uh, that that vested um, portion mm-hmm. of it. You is is discounted off the price, but you have sure. to pay me to keep the tool, or you leave the tool here, or after a year you can own it. It's yours. You know, I think that the key in all of this is creating some type of structure that you can go back and you have a way. I don't want to use the term enforce because I don't think enforce is the right term. I think you know we, we've talked about with ASTA, for instance, we're going to start doing member onboarding. So they understand for these associations, oh, like they have that, that is a good idea. They have programs. Who came up with that? Was that Mike Allen? Yeah, definitely Mike Allen. <laughs> um, they have. We've talked about it on and off for a long time, and 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 the reason being was is 
there's a lot of programs that go on and the way that the association like member dues for an association are not enough to pay the bills right it's not enough to pay the staff and so what they do is they get you discounts from advanced auto parts from napa from a credit card processor whatever it is and they get you fairly substantial discounts and when they get you that discount they get a percentage paid to them on program share and so the the thing is is if your members use it it'll save them a fortune it'll save them a ton of money and then it'll make you money which allows you to do more for your members right right and so the key is is that if they're not engaging those programs you just don't have the potential that you would have otherwise and so with asta we want to make sure our members are aware of that we want to make sure we take them and we set them down and we show them here's how this works and if you'll use this program and we get you signed up on this program and you're using this vendor and they're providing a good service to you this makes you more profitable and it helps us do things that make your life easier right gotcha and so maybe it's something like that that says hey if you're going to be an asta shop and you're going to participate in the hiring program right because i don't want to there's shops that aren't ready for that right there's shops that aren't ready for that change that guy that was in my class yesterday you know I'm, but i guarantee you he's looking for help of course so what then? Well, hey, I mean, you need help. We have a pathway, but you're not listening. Well, but that's what I'm saying is that that until they meet a certain requirement, until they go through some type of training, you know, I've had all kinds of people email me about the podcast and ask me to put you through sensitivity training. And I think that there's I think there's a way to put folks into a program where they understand. And and so there again, to me, that comes back to data because if we know what it is in a, in a documentable way that we can provide to shop owners that says, this is what technicians don't like. This is what's keeping them out of the industry or this is what's pushing. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. What's driving them out. And so if we have that data, now we can look at that data and we can say, okay, here we are. And here's what we're not going to do. Here's a pathway to fix this. And now you take your shops who are ready to commit to that and they sign a pact. Hey, listen, we're going to do this and here's what this looks like. Sure. I like it. Do you know, larger companies do exit interviews, right? And if there was a way to collect data for people that have left the industry, right. In a systemized way, maybe, and I, I don't know how you, you could tell you, find I, a I, sample. But listen, you're, I, you're the researcher. You're supposed to come up with this. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm thinking no, no. of the audience, Look, thinking how to do it. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a perfect strategy. Hmm. I'll mute his headphones for just a second. I'm going to find a stack of his business cards and just oh, start just passing like everybody. everybody that quits. Here, call this guy. Oh, you're great. I'm having trouble recruiting marketing researchers. We are in a crunch ourselves. <laughs> right. so, uh, I, and I, I know that you guys have a lot of analytical minds in your yeah. trade. Um, so uh, if you're I leaving automotive, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> grease monkey, survey monkey, right? We can trade. That's it. Uh, That's it. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. I th- I think it's those the association. I, I mean, my whole thrust was a you know the only advice I'm giving you is is grassroots oriented yeah. advice. Now, yes, all of those. Those messages, those proactive messages, could be put on side of, of, of NASCAR 
you know, side of town from Birmingham. So yeah. Talladega's right down the road from us. I had put it on the hoardings around. Right. You know, it's great to be a technician. Um, but then it also has to come from the word of mouth. And yeah. just whether that's face-to-face or through social media. Right. Um, but the the message is, I, I, I think, I, I don't know whether I cited my my nephew, I, I'm not going to say his name, but right. my nephew's going to a four-year college. He really likes metallurgy. He's got no business going. He's, I'm, you know, he doesn't care, and he's yeah. not doing very well. And it's like, my, my boy, man, you need to, you need to get your ass down to a trade school. Yeah, and, and I, I don't Go know if he'd be a, 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 he like a welt, but but you know something using his hands. Yeah, he likes that kind of stuff. Um, why are you Why are you worried about? And there's nothing wrong with literature. There's nothing wrong with philosophy. Right. But why are you taking two yeah. years of these basic courses? And, to, and you're you're in because it, you know I've always said energy is a finite resource, right? And so if you're going to school for something you don't like, you're going to school for something you hate, and and you're basically wasting this energy yeah. that you have a limited amount of. Yeah. yeah if we were focusing that energy in an area which we can do something. And we enjoy, and it creates results Absolutely. in our lives. Absolutely, wouldn't that be more effective? And eighty percent of degree holders are out of, yeah, are not working in the field, field that they, they got, got their degree, degree within five years. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So the idea, but but you still get the you still see the the earnings lifetime earnings of a four year degree holder versus somebody who just got high school. Over the lifetime, yeah. they make substantially more money have, have and, and I'm, I'm familiar with that sort of that mm-hmm. that, that dichotomy and yeah. the statistics not i don't know the actual numbers but mm-hmm. yeah but i wonder have they calculated that for an auto technician and where does that fall in between That's the curve of, yeah i mean is that but i think that up until this point up until just very recently i don't think the the conversation was even didn't never involved retirement right you see what i'm saying it, it it never involved that like let's build wealth while you're here that that's a that is a very uncommon conversation in shops today but at mm-hmm. least it's being had by some yeah well i don't think that up until just a few years ago that was even a thing like maybe they had it but they weren't forcing it or they weren't pushing it they didn't have he he brought in a financial advisor into his shop to have a, a conversation with his staff that type of uh benefit i don't think was available necessarily for most of your technicians they just came in to mm-hmm. do their jobs because there was nothing else available and it was just it was that kind of story yeah, it's a day-to-day yeah existence um, a day-to-day existence the and i think you're right i think maybe the numbers will shift but i think even if you do want to get a four-year degree you know you're not going to use it necessarily that you are going to there are schools community schools that are community colleges that are offering four-year yeah. degree in in automotive sure and so if you want to go work on cars go get a four-year degree in that it's like applied sciences a bachelor's yeah. in applied sciences whatever it happens to be like go do that and leave with maybe forty thousand dollars in debt that's if you don't pay your own way. But $40,000, instead of 150000 or 250000 like your local community college will have a two-year degree or a four-year degree Absolutely. for you that will allow you to then, like your nephew, go weld yeah. or go 
work on metal or whatever, like whatever it is you want to do, but they have something available. But instead, instead, they're going to a state school or a private university and getting a degree. And these schools are expanding their diploma offerings to the most absurd things because they have all this money coming in and there's all this grant and federal aid. And they're like, we got to spend it. We got to do something. We created a whole division on this you know what's really interesting thing. about that, though, is that, for instance, App State, right? And and we met with the chancellor the other day, and she said, "Look, we're 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 recognizing a shift in Americans." And she said, "We're recognizing a, a shift in education." And she said, "We're focusing on things like nursing degrees. Mm. We're fo- focusing on things like vet degrees. We're focusing on things that Americans can put to work and can go to work with these degrees in in the." even in the time that they are here, right? They can begin to get a job while they're in school. And she, you know, she pointed out about our community. And I thought this was extremely interesting because you just would not expect to hear a school administrator say something like this. She said, I recognize that the students that leave App State University could not afford to live in this community. Hmm. And I thought Hmm. that's a pretty powerful statement because it's showing yeah, we're in a we're in an affluent area, right? It's 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 a fairly expensive area, but it's also showing that nationwide, the person that's coming out of school doesn't have the earning potential to go buy that house, and and if rent's so high, you can't afford to live somewhere. You got student debt piling up, and then uh, right. I mean, eventually we've got to start having a little bit of a conversation here and say maybe this isn't working. Maybe this solution, I'm not saying anything bad about her. I, I'm not saying that she was, it's just that I, I think it highlights the need to reevaluate the trajectory of higher education in the United States today. I think sure. something has to happen. Yeah, unfortunately, nothing's going to happen until the parents do something about it. Until these so, parents go, you know what, I'm not going to send my kid to KU. And KU is like $30,000 a year. To for for there there's a community college a block away from my house. Mm-hmm. They offer four year degrees there. I can get my kid through that school for less than for four years. Four year degree. I guarantee you, no flipping employer in this country, with the exception of maybe three, will give two flips that my yeah. kid got a four year degree from Johnson County Community College and not from KU. They yeah. will not my, care. My, my my wife is a trauma burns nurse. Mm-hmm. And she, we're from Alabama. She went to Alabama, and she hated the bowheads there. She hated the, that that vibe. Right, right. Not we are Alabama fans, but right. so they, but she and and you know she kind of flitted about, and then she said, I, "Okay, I'm going to go into nursing." She went to Jeff State, Jefferson State Col- uh, uh, Community College, in, in Jefferson County, got a two year nursing degree, and you know within a year, you know she's working in the neuro intensive care unit with right. neurosurgeons. Yeah, and I mean, he and I used to go up there and and bring her dinner, uh, and she would go, "Hey, me and a couple of the surgeons are going to drill some someone's head open. You want to come yeah. watch?" <laughs> I'll be like, uh, "No, I'm good. No, no, no." But but it's to your point. I mean, she, yeah. fought, you know, for and she retired from nursing and went into to another career after right. twenty years. But to your point, I mean, she came out of school. It was an intense, fun 
yeah. environment that she worked in, and she made great money at University of Alabama uh, in Birmingham's hospital, which is one of the you know so yeah. so a top ten hospital in a lot of a lot of departments. And she didn't pay a hundred thousand uh, exactly. dollars to go to, to Alabama. She paid ten thousand to go to Jeff State College. And, right, and, and you know one of the things that I, I, I think back about a family member of mine. And I, Mike Allen and I have talked about this. As a matter of fact, I think back about this family member who has been caught in this never-ending cycle of schooling, and and it was they went to school for uh, to be an ultrasound tech, and then that turns into another degree that they want right. to get, and another degree they want to get, and they continue to invest it like they never financially move forward, they never get to that next level. And I was talking to Mike Allen. He was talking about, you know, his wife is a, a very, very highly trained dentist and and extremely proficient, probably one of the best there is. Um, I think she's in pediatrics. And and he points out, like, her training that she has to constantly go through oh, and sure. her fellows that she has to accomplish and all of these aspects of this. Like, when we talk about a lifelong career, boys, this is a, sure. <laughs> you know, th- sure. there's a lot of work and a lot of money that goes into investing into this. And I think a lot of students, they, they start on that pathway and they say, wow, I want to be a dentist. I want to be a doctor. And then it all of a sudden hits them in the face and they realize I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I'm never going to be out of school. I'm never going to be moving away from this. This is going to be what life is now. And I'll make a lot of really good money, but I am going to invest a lot. We talked about you know mega earner CEOs not having families and not having uh, homes and not having a life because they wanted the opportunity to earn that. Well, the the people who are going to reach those high plateaus or those high um, paying jobs, they're they're sacrificing more than just sure. You know these little things like I'm going to go to school for four years and it's going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars. The cost of that education continues forever, and I just don't think that a lot of people recognize that. I lost. You lost me on that story. So they going to school for forever and having to pay to go back into the school. Yeah. Well, they they you know for instance, Mike's talking about his wife, Mm -hmm. and so she has to do continuing education that she has to pay for. She has to continually true technicians. Well, it is, but we're paying for that. Yeah. In other words, she has to pay herself. Yeah, they have her own. They have to continue to train. They have to continue to. Otherwise, they're no longer valid in the field. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See yeah. what I'm saying? And that C- sounds miserable. CEUs, but they're they're always chasing that other fellowship or some yeah sort to of, get to the know, next yeah, yeah, yeah to get to the next level and to you know and I don't even think it's necessarily earning capabilities, but you know it, it's just like even even a a general physician has to continue to to learn and grow and develop as as they progress. And so there's a lot of money associated with that. There's a lot of training that has to go back into it. It never stops. Education never stops. I, I hated school when I was in school. I don't want to spend the rest of my life going to school. It would suck. Yeah, but the, that school in a classroom setting, I, I think, like, I, I hated school too. I absolutely hated every second of it. It was miserable. But, like, now I'm, I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of videos. There's, I mean, the stuff that you you watch these crane videos to learn about how these cranes work. I watch videos about everything. Exactly. Like, you're just learning to learn because well, it's fun yeah, to learn. It's absolutely. interesting. And, yeah, absolutely. you're just. 
And that, that's a mindset. And that, that goes beyond your vocation. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I, I used to work on, in B2C doing research for fishing lure companies. Yeah. And, you know, a, a fisherman's journey is to always get better. You know, yeah. And they're the best ever when they ha- are having a good day. And when they don't, they're why didn't I have a good day? And then they're going back and watching the YouTubes, yeah. watching, going, di- di- you know, uh, uh, kind of deconstructing what they did wrong yeah. Yeah. and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. And it's so it's, but, and that's learning for their, their, their lifestyle, their, yeah. their avocation, their fun. But I, I think that mindset, I, I'm a proponent of that mindset, for sure. It, but sure. but it's the but it's that what you're saying. I think Mike is the the they are forcing you to. Yeah, you have no um, choice. You will spend right. eternity forced to learn, paying to learn. And, yeah, you know that, that. I think that's my issue with that. Mm-hmm. Is like I, I just don't think that that would be an enjoyable career path based on that alone. <laughs> Right, like I, I, if, I, if somebody made it, me want to learn, I'm not going to want to learn a, anymore. It's the same thing with automotive, though. I, I think the the technicians that are interested in learning what's new, what's available, what new techniques are out there, what new technologies out there, they're they they are the ones we want in this industry. The ones that are watching YouTube videos to learn how to better fix this car, and they're they're, they're trying to learn. Sure. The ones that are apathetic. The ones that are just like, eh, it's whatever. I don't want to go to training. I don't want to. I don't want to spend the time. I don't want to. The only re- like I have technicians. The only reason they don't want to go to training is because they don't think that training is going to intellectually push them. Yeah, they're like, I've already taken that class. And like, what are they going to cover in that class? They need that class to be like really hard. Yeah, and then they'll be excited to go. And they're like, oh yeah, I want to learn about that. That's interesting. I had Brandon, my tech, he, uh, he goes, I think I need to take a Toyota EVAP class. <laughs> I've been working on him for three years now on that. Right. He, he thought EVAP was the, the most boring, and it is, but it is a constant problem on Toyotas. Right. And it is difficult to diagnose if you don't know the and, intricacies and of the EVAP, system. Just ed- educate me quickly. Uh, evaporative emissions control gotcha, systems. Gotcha. Yeah, it's the it's the gas vapor that's in your gas tank that the EPA doesn't want released into the oh, atmosphere. Okay. The yeah. Toyota has a very intricate and complicated system to not not only trap it, monitor that there are no leaks in the system, and then slowly introduce it into the engine to be reburned. Hmm. And the if there is even the smallest leak, I'm talking less than the size of a pin hole leak anywhere in the system, the system flags it, throws a check engine light. Customer just sees that the check engine light's on. Well, now you have to find that leak. Well, maybe it's not that. Maybe the sensor that monitors that leak isn't working properly. Yeah, or, or the perch solenoid's leaking. Or, or the, the perch solenoid's intermittently sticking, and that's what introduces. And there's a thousand little variables in there, but the first step, the first step, you know what kicked my ass one time? What? First gen Prius EVAP leak. Holy, that thing has a bladder inside of the gas tank. And the bladder can leak into the cavity between the bladder and the, the, the outside and the, the outer casing. That's a space there that is monitored. And then if you leak out of the bladder into that, it throws also and try to find that with a smoke test. Good luck. It's not going to happen. <laughs> anyway. 
it, the, there's so many small intricacies to that system you have to learn and and they're different from year to year and model to model and he finally goes i think i need to take an evap class <laughs> and i think pj walters teaches one doesn't he yeah yeah pj's got an excellent evap class. evap class yeah yep. anyway this was good it was thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.